This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All-Hit Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send an email, exxon at com on all social media sites, TV. And if you'd like to find out what great programming we have available for you, 724-365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Exxon Nation, my guest this hour is no stranger to... Anyone who has ever read a book or listened to a radio show or watched a TV show when it comes to UFOs and much more, Nick Redfern is his name. He is the author of over 40 books, including Women in Black, Men in Black, Bloodline of the Gods, The Pyramids and the Pentagon, and Secret History, Conspiracies from Ancient Aliens to the New World Order. Nick has appeared on over 70 TV shows, including the History Channel's Ancient Aliens, Monster Quest, and UFO Hunters. The BBC's Out of This World, the Sci-Fi Channel's Proof Positive, America's Book of Secrets, the National Geographic Channel's Paranormal, and MSNBC's Countdown with Keep Olderman. And Nick is represented by Lisa Hannigan at lisahannaganbooks.com. And um, he's written a number of books about UFOs and UFO-related phenomena. Uh, I think he is in a class with Brad Steiger, Kevin Randall, and, of course, himself. And, Nick, always great to have you here on the Exxon. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on again, Rob. Um, I listened to your interview uh, two weeks ago with Kevin Randall, and uh, I'd like to talk to you about it a little later on. You, we were t- you were talking about your book, Roswell, UFO Conspiracy, Exposing a Shocking and Sinister Secret. And, man, you blew me away. Well, you know, I mean, it's a controversial angle because Roswell is sort of perceived as the number one UFO case. You yeah. know, it's the sacred cow that cannot be touched. And um, But when you look at the case, you know, there's, for me at least, mm-hmm. there are problems um, in the extraterrestrial angle. 
Um, and over the last sort of 12, 13 years, I've been digging into a sort of arguably an even more controversial theory for what happened at Roswell, which ties in with not a crashed UFO and dead aliens, but early post-Second World War experiments using um, human test subjects in high-altitude exposure experiments and things like this, and um, some of them being um, Japanese personnel brought over at the end of the Second World War. And, of course, you know, you can see the implications of, if that's the truth, you know, how Roswell could come crashing down and the effects that that might have on ufology as a whole. I, I do, but you know what? It makes a lot of sense. Listening to you and Kevin, and you brought in Operation Paperclip, you brought in uh, a lot of the facts, and then when I looked at the physiology of the so-called extraterrestrials that were uh, supposed to be recovered at at the crashes, it would make sense, number one, why there was a cover-up. Number two, it would also explain the appearance of these of these extraterrestrials, short, slanted eyes, gray-skinned, you know, swollen heads, and this would all be caused by the extreme pressures that they may have been subjected to. So I thought it was a great show, a great book, and, you know, I've been uh, promoting it left, right, and center because I believe, oh, I believe that the truth is out there, Nick, and I think you've come across it. Well, you know, personally, I think it's, it is the right path. The problem that we all face, though, in ufology, whichever side of the coin you're on, yeah. is how do we actually prove it? And that's the problem that everybody, whether they believe it's extraterrestrial, a weather balloon, or the mm -hmm. Air Force's stories about crash test dummies, or the ones in my book, the problem is that there's no doubt in my mind that somebody somewhere is hiding the truth of Roswell. But the problem is nobody, as I said, on any side of the coin, can find where that truth is so you know we're, we're all still kind of racing you know for the answers or the proof i should say rather than the answers and you know that's sort of the final goal i think we've got enough evidence to show yeah. that something crashed bodies were recovered and multiple cover stories were put into place now we just need to try and find where that material evidence is held and i think my friend you have started people looking in the right direction with your new book entitled roswell ufo conspiracy exposing a sinister a shocking and sinister secret exonation uh nick redford is my guest nick redford fortian.blogspot.com is the best way to uh to read about Nick, and we'll both be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the X-Zone with Nick Redfern from our broadcast center. We're right here in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Thank you. 
Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? Why are crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere? Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud or for more insidious reasons? What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800 square mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good To Be True, visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. Nick Redfern, fortean.blogspot.com is the uh, website for Nick Redfern. He is our guest this hour. 
And um, Nick, you and I were talking uh, during the commercial break about the, um, you know, the fact that members of the U- UFO community love to to look at Roswell as the mecca uh, of the UFO uh, phenomenon, and yet when other people come up with other uh, theories that are based on their research that they just they just ignored like I'm sorry you know it's it's my way or the highway basically but when it comes to Roswell there's one thing that has always puzzled me uh Nick now maybe you can help me understand it Jesse Marcel the base intelligence officer goes retrieves some of this crash debris puts it into his custody and instead of returning right away to the base he goes home and lets his wife and child handle this evidence to me right then and there the roswell case is finished well yeah that that is sort of you know an odd situation to do i mean you know the 509th was the was the actual the wing at roswell was the Mm -hmm. wing where the atomic bombs were dropped on japan it was actually the 509th who dropped the bombs so in other words it was one of the most strategic sensitive important bases in the united states and so anything unusual that would have been found out in the desert and couldn't initially be identified, it is almost, you know, one of those hard-to-believe situations that somebody recovers, you know, a high-ranking officer recovers the materials and takes a detour back home and, you know, shows it, like you said, shows it out for his family rather than, you know, making a quick drive to... Um, to the base to get yeah. it, you know, uh, studied and examined. Not only that, but to maintain the chain of evidence and the chain of custody. Because as soon as he brought it to his home and let civilians play with it, man, he's, he's ruined the uh, chain of evidence. It doesn't exist well, anymore. No, you're, you're exactly right. And so that, that doesn't make sense unless, you know, there's a possibility that he thought this was terrestrial material, mm-hmm. that something unusual had come down. Now, yep. even under those circumstances, you know, he still shouldn't have stopped off at home first. But to me, at least, the fact that he did suggest that this wasn't the sort of otherworldly material we've been told it was, yep. but actually something that may have been unusual, but was also terrestrial. Now, you see, the fact that that the first release said it was a balloon, or was it first released a crash UFO and then it was switched to a balloon? Well, uh, actually, they, what they first said was it was a flying disc. Now, and the term flying saucer and flying disc were interchangeable. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that a lot of people forget is that when we talk about flying saucers and UFOs today, we've got 70 years of, uh, of phenomena, of books, of magazines, of TV shows to understand from our perspective what UFOs and flying saucers might be. But a lot of people often forget a crucial thing, that when... They put out that statement that we've recovered a flying disc. Well, this was only 14, 13 days after Kenneth Arnold's first sighting of a flying saucer. So, in other words, imagine if we were just 13 days into the first UFO sighting. In other words, we wouldn't know much about the subject. All we would know is that something weird's flying around and people call it flying saucers and flying discs. We wouldn't have any history of abductions, mm-hmm. crashes, Area 51, nothing. And that's the position people were in then. So in other words, what this means is that flying saucer and flying disc back then didn't mean in 47 what it means for us today with 70 years of hindsight. It just meant people have been seeing these things for less than two weeks 
there was no history, there was no law, there was no no books written. So flying disc back then didn't equate with with alien spacecraft. It was just something that had just very very recently been seen, and nobody really knew what they were. And there was still a lot of media hype two weeks after the event with Kenneth Arnold. Yeah, that's right. There was yeah. a lot of hype, but as, as I said, there wasn't sort of no. any history of the phenomenon to make people think, oh, that's, you know, aliens, UFOs or whatever, because, as I said, it only just kicked off. So um, when they said it was a flying disc or flying saucer, they weren't talking back then about an alien spacecraft. They were just talking about a new phenomenon that had been reported. People often forget that because they look at it from our perspective mm-hmm. of what flying disc, flying saucer and UFO mean today. Nick, why do you think that if, in fact, this was a flying saucer, and I have never followed that line of logic or thinking, why do you think it took so long after, and why did it peter out so fast going back to 1947? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you're right that when the events happened, it was actually uh, major news. Mm -hmm. for example, the um, you know the major all the major news services in the United States and some overseas as well picked up on the story, and as you said, the uh, the first report was we've recovered a flying disc. The next day, sorry, it's just a weather balloon. And what happened was that Major Marcel was flown out to um, Fort Worth to the, <clears throat> to the military base of Fort Worth, photographed holding what was clearly weather balloon debris. Um, it, it wasn't the original materials, we know that much. And when he was shown, uh, you know, he was photographed holding this, the press just dropped it. You know, they're like, oh, okay, it was a weather balloon after all. And it actually took until the mid-1970s before the story really got picked up again in ufology and people like Bill Moore, who co-wrote the Roswell Incident book, and Stan Friedman started looking into it further um, but, of course, 30 years had passed by, and a lot of the key players, like Matt Brazel, the rancher who found the wreckage, you know, they were long dead. But um, but at least, you know, by the 70s, things were starting to open up again. I often wonder what would have happened if if Stanton Friedman had never been involved in the Roswell case, if, in fact, ufology would be the phenomena it is today. Well, probably not, and certainly um, not with Roswell, because what mm-hmm. happened was it was purely by chance uh, after a media appearance that Stan um, actually heard this story, oh, you need to speak to this guy about this event he was involved in. He was involved in a crashed UFO back in 47. And and that's what happened. Stan then got on the trail of the, the threads and the leads and the few people who there were names for back then that were involved or knew something about it. And it began very much as like a detective story. And it turns out that Bill Moore uh, was also looking into it. And so their material was combined pretty much into the Charles Burlitz and Bill Moore book, The Roswell Incident, which came out in 1980. And then from there, you had various other researchers digging into it, like um, Leonard Stringfield, and then later on, um, Kevin, Kevin Randall, who you mentioned earlier, yep. Don Schmidt and Tom Carey. And <laughs> but the, um, just about all of those, well, actually all of those, were pursuing the extraterrestrial angle. Um, there were a couple of researchers uh, in the 90s, like Carl Flock, uh, who was looking at it from the perspective of 
not a weather balloon, but something called a mogul balloon, which were these huge balloons designed to monitor for Russian uh, atomic bomb tests. Um, but the problem is, of course, these were just balloons, so that didn't explain the body's angle. And that was actually the theory that the Air Force came to accept as the real one, that it was a mogul balloon and not a weather balloon. Nick, what was your driving force into getting to find out what was behind the Roswell case? Well, what happened um, was that actually back in 1998, I I wrote a book called The FBI Files, which Mm -hmm. was a study of all the FBI's declassified files on UFOs. And when you write a book, you know, people contact you with their stories. And one story came from an elderly woman um, living in California at the time and said she could um, share some or give me some information that would pertain to one of the chapters in the book, which dealt with UFO sightings at a, an atomic energy installation called Oak Ridge in Tennessee. And I, my assumption, natural assumption, was that she wanted to talk about UFO sightings at Oak Ridge. But when we met up in the summer of 2001, she had a very different story to tell me. She talked about how the Roswell story was not what everybody thought it was, and that in reality it was one of five or six, maybe seven or eight experiments undertaken in the New Mexico desert in 1947 with these high-altitude programs and people used as guinea pigs. And she said on a number of occasions, see, she saw a number of dead bodies brought in. Some of them looked like normal people who'd clearly been in some sort of you know, violent accident. Mm-hmm. Others were clearly physically handicapped people who she was told were actually taken from sort of hospitals and asylums and used, you know, essentially against their will as guinea pigs in these flights. And some of them looked to be either Japanese or Chinese people. But the word that trickled down was that they were all being used in these experiments that led to the legend of the crashed UFO and these small bodies out in the desert. And when she told me that story, she gave me um, the names and contact information of three other elderly people, uh, all from the military and the intelligence community. And so I interviewed them back in the mid-2000s, and I wrote a book about what the information I'd uncovered up until then called Body Snatchers in the Desert. And then the new book, which has just come out, The Roswell UFO Conspiracy, that covers everything that I've learned sort of in, since the first book came out in 2005 until now. So basically, in answer to your question, what prompted me and, you know, what drive me to, drove me to look further was the fact that more and more leads were coming in, pushing it down that particular avenue. And, you know, I felt, well, I'm on this course now, you know, this looks to me like the right one. Sure. And stop it, stopping now would just be stupid, you know. You know, it, it it makes perfect sense why the government would, in fact, put a put a cover up in place. It makes perfect sense. Well, yeah. I mean, people say to me, "Well, what if?" I mean, a lot of the people who I interviewed said, "You know, they use these huge balloons and these yeah. uh, lifting body type aircraft," and they said, "Well, you know, why would they hide that now?" And I said, "Well, they weren't actually hiding." the experiment in terms of the technology, which is actually quite rudimentary, you know, like huge balloons mm-hmm. and things like this. I said the reason why it was hidden was because it would backtrack to essentially what were pretty disturbing and highly controversial experiments using people as, you know, as, um, guinea pigs. as high-altitude guinea pigs, yeah. for, for want of a better term. So in other words, it, that was the, the key 
that prompted the secrecy and also prompted, you know, the deliberate creation of fake uh, trails and leads relative to crashed UFOs and dead aliens. Keep pushing everybody down that pathway because it's exciting and it's, you know, kind of X-Files-like. Do anything but just keep them away from, you know, the other story. So would you say that uh, the experimentation on the Japanese... um POWs would have been the equivalent to something like Operation Paperclip? Well, yeah. Everybody I interviewed, I mean, for people who don't know, Operation Paperclip was a, a legitimate government program at the end of the Second World War to bring, after the Germans were defeated, a lot of the Nazi rocket scientists were brought over to work out at White Sands and elsewhere in New Mexico to launch captured German V-2 rockets because this was sort of very, very early years of what would lead to, you know, the space program. It was in its infancy, but we're talking about very high-flying rockets. Um, Now, as well as the the Germans being brought over to uh, New Mexico, there was a lesser-known Japanese equivalent of paperclip, which um, was responsible for capturing, at the end of the war, massive amounts of documentation relative All right, Nick, to... Nick, we're going to have to have a little bit of a cliffhanger okay. here. I've got to take my news break. Sorry. Explanation, Nick Redfern is our special guest. Nick Redfern, 14.blogspot.com. And Nick and I will return on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss Shamanic Counselor and Indigenously Trained Dream Decoder Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influenced her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, StarwalkerVisions.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. 
Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen. Exonation, Nick Redfern is our guest. Nick Redford, Fortean.blogspot.com. And Nick's latest book is Roswell, UFO Conspiracy, Exposing a Shocking and Sinister Secret. This is an update of his book, Body Snatchers in the Desert, which suggested a U.S. government experiment using captured Japanese soldiers that went horribly wrong. And uh, Nick, always great having you here on the show. And as I said to you uh, earlier, this makes total sense. It makes total sense, and you know, listening to your interview with Kevin and and reading the material, there is no there is no wonder that the United States government or any other government would want to keep this covered up. And people say, "Well, come on, Rob, the government doesn't get into experimentations." No, my gosh, what was the name of that um, that uh, experiment that they were doing at uh, the Allen Memorial Institute in Montreal testing LSD? The CIA was involved in the testing of LSD people. Uh, what was that called? Project um, oh, MK Ultra. MK Ultra, yeah, yeah. You know and that that so that just goes to show that yes, it is being done. Why? Well. That's another well, question. Well, yeah, um, as we mentioned before the break, you know, there was this program, Operation Paperclip, mm-hmm. that brought a lot of the Nazi scientists over to work in rocketry. But a lesser-known Japanese equivalent of Paperclip um, brought over a lot of Japanese scientists who were working in the final stages of the Second World War and had the war not finished, they would have completed these um, gigantic new... Uh, balloon arrays that were, they were building. Sort of like almost in some cases, they were like the huge jet Zeppelin balloons of yeah. the First World War. And the idea was that they would sort of soar across the Pacific towards the United States and have these 
um, glider lifting body type aircraft attached below them and the crews would sort of act in like a kamikaze fashion. So in other words, they would just hurtle down to the cities loaded, you know, with explosives. Um, and and yet for, during, and during World War II, they used Fugos to do that. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, the Fugo bomb, uh, balloon bombs were like yeah. a rudimentary version of the far more superior, if you like, and man balloons that were going to be used um, had the war not ended. Fortunately for us, you know, the war did end and we didn't have to face those balloons. But what happened is a lot of the scientists and the personnel involved were brought over as a part of this Japanese equivalent of paperclip. And the construction of these massive balloons went ahead. And the story that I got from all the people I spoke to and other researchers got a similar story too, was that it was one of these gigantic balloons that came down on the ranch. Uh, But in this case, this was one where they were doing the high-altitude testing and had these guinea pigs on board. They said there were also several other crashes in New Mexico in the same time frame and around the same area, which actually did have these sort of Japanese crews on. Hello? Don't know what happened, Nick. Oh, we got it back anyway. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> but, um, hold on, buddy. But yeah, the, the story was that there were several of these crashes or flights mm-hmm. and crashes, and that in some cases the, the crews were Japanese. Now, people might say, well, you know, everybody knows it was a UFO crash. But what's interesting is that when you look into this story, you find a lot of threads that weren't connected to me at all. You know, I'd be very suspicious if I was the only one getting the story. But back in 1997, uh, popular, excuse me. Um, the the, uh, the when the media was covering the whole um, issue of the 50th anniversary of Roswell, Popular Mechanics magazine put out a story saying that they'd been told of the Japanese um, angle to all this, a Japanese equivalent to paperclip. That was their exact words, and this was this was four years before I was even looking into this. Hmm. And one of the key players in the story who we know got to see the bodies up close and personal was a guy named melvin brown who was stationed at roswell the base in 47 and he told his family and this is a direct quote that the bodies that he saw could have quote passed for chinese now when you say something so specific as they they could have passed for chinese that doesn't sound at all like the typical alien gray you know with the large head and the black eyes um, it sounds like exactly what you're explaining. It looks like a, a Chinese person. So, in other words, a lot of people in ufology steer away from Melvin Brown's, not so much from his accounts, but from that p- specific aspect because it complicates and kind of negates their theory that aliens crashed. But, you know, why, if, if there are so many ufologists out there that are seeking to find the truth, Nick, why don't they open themselves to all possibilities? Why just look at Roswell? Why just look at the the established UFO uh, criteria? Why not open yourself up to other possibilities? Well, I, I, my answer to that question, Rob, would be that most people in the Roswell field, Kevin's actually different. Kevin is very open-minded yes, he is. and a lot of his views have changed. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people who in the Roswell field they are so driven by belief and by the whole I want to believe fact, you know, the X-Files. And some of them, you know, getting up there in years, I think just cannot face the idea that 
it can now be anything but extraterrestrial. It's the only angle for them, because the alternative is to see their theories come crashing down. But, you know, my approach is that I'm not in the business of, you know, destroying belief systems mm -hmm. or, you know, destroying and crushing people's beliefs for the sake of it. I, I feel it's very important to go for the truth and where the truth lies, because that's all we should we shouldn't be looking to try and vindicate the alien angle or the mogul balloon angle or the crash test dummy angle we should just be looking for the truth exactly and if it, and if the truth takes it away from the extraterrestrial angle well that's just too bad at the end of the day that's just too bad exactly um and here we are 70 years later right is this the 70th anniversary of roswell coming up yes, yeah it, it is, is yeah. with all our modern technology nick that smoking gun has not been established. And with all the ability of, of computer hackers, nobody has come up with anything that remotely, remotely uh, looks like anything that would prove that any government of the world is covering up the fact that ETs are here. Well, no, you're, you're right. I mean, through things like the Freedom of Information Act, a lot of interesting and good solid, credible files have surfaced, mm -hmm. you know, with, with the Freedom of Information Acts of numerous nations around the world. But you're right, we don't have that ultimate smoking gun, and we don't have that in Roswell like, either. And, you know, I'm always sort of brutally honest with people, and, you know, when it comes to Roswell, I have to admit, we, we don't have any kind of smoking gun for any theory. I mean, even the Air Force with their mogul balloon theory and the crash test dummies theory that they came up with, they admitted in their reports that although they thought that was possibly the answer, they admitted that they couldn't find any records to actually prove that. But equally, they couldn't find any UFO records. And I don't believe the Air Force was lying at all. Mm -hmm. I, I differ from a lot of people in ufology. I do think someone's hiding the truth of Roswell, but I don't think it's the people who we think it should be, like the Air Force or the CIA or the Pentagon, I think it's more sort of like a like a hidden government within the government, like a shadow government, rather than the elected government, so to speak. And so I think the problem is not only do we not have the, the smoking gun for Roswell, mm -hmm. we don't even really know where to go and look for that evidence. But, you know, no. if, if, if everything at Roswell was done in, in the matter of, in the name of national security, for whatever reason, maybe for future space flight, I don't know. Doesn't it make sense that the government has the right to do things in a clandestine manner in order to secure national security? And that. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, in certain cases, I mean, I mean, nobody. Um, of, a, of a you know a sane mind would want people like North Korea and Russia to get hold of our you know yeah. the, the secrets of our nuclear missiles and where they're all kept and things like that. Nobody would want that to happen. Nobody would want you know things like sources and methods information coming out and spilling over into the hands of terrorists because that would just be disaster. Um, so yes, you know that there are highly legitimate reasons. Um, you know, where national security is not just vital, mm -hmm. but it's common sense as well. Um, but when it comes to something like, um, you know, an experiment that occurred 70 years ago, well, maybe the time is now just to, you know, to Put bring it all yeah. out and just let's get it out and just, 
you know, just see where, you know, things fall. Um, obviously, nobody who's around today would have, uh, is responsible for having instigated or anything like that because it's so long ago, everybody's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, if this is the answer, I would hope that at some point somebody would come forward and say, well, yep, this is the answer. And, um, you know, it was kind of a bit of a dark time in the early post-war era. We were looking at the Soviets for the next big problem. And, you know, we were trying to get things into space and rocketry. And somebody crossed the line, and we're sorry, you know. I would hope something like that might be said. But do you think that the members of the UFO community and those who believe that there is a government conspiracy or cover-up in place would actually believe that? No. I think they would see it as just another layer of the conspiracy and and another cover story. I mean, people have said that to me. Um, Well, how do you know you haven't been deceived with another cover story to hide the fact that aliens really crashed? And my my answer to that question is, well, if you're going to create a cover story for Roswell, why make it so controversial talking about human experiments? Because that's just going to make people sit up and take notice of it even more. And, of course, there's the fact that to this day, the Air Force, and by default as well the government, still uh, stands by the crash test dummy angle for the bodies and the Moga balloon well, the device. But that so makes there's sense. No need for them to, there's no need for them to create another cover story when that one's still in place. And you know, those two cover stories make sense. If in fact, you know, like I'm not doubting you, Nick, I think that you're, you're, you're right on the money with this entire scenario. And if the government does want to cover it up, this would be the best way. They're, you know, they're just saying, hey, listen, we can't find any records on it. Well, of course they can't because they're hidden. Hello? Yeah, and a lot of people think, you know, that because the Air Force went searching and didn't find anything, that they're the evil guys, they're the bad guys. They're not. As I point out in, in the new book, I don't think the Air Force was lying when it said we think that bodies probably were crash test dummies. People don't realize that when you have such secrets of so paramount security mm-hmm. and concern that the average person or even a high-ranking person in the military may actually not know that, or be, be cleared, you know, to, to even right. find this material. So, in other words, they're looking around for it, they can't find it, and ufology just says, oh, well, you know, they, they didn't really look for it. But I think they actually did, but I think they reached a brick wall in the same way, ironically, that we do in the UFO community. Nick, stand by, my friend. You and I have to take our final break for this hour. Exonation Nick Redfern is our special guest. We're talking to Nick about his latest book, Roswell, UFO Conspiracy, Exposing a Shocking and Sinister Secret. And if you'd like to, uh, you know, check out Nick online, nickredfern14.blogspot.com. And Nick and I will be back as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. By the way, speaking about Kevin Randall, you can listen to A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall on the Exome Broadcast Network. All you need to do is go to www.xzbn.net, find out when Kevin is on, and tune in right then and there. This is the Exome. I am Rob McConnell. Nick and I return. Don't go away.
Are you curious? Do you want to learn more about how the world works and have fun at the same time? Study coincidences with me, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, on my Connecting with Coincidence radio show here on the XZBN network. Listen to Jungians theorize, statisticians randomize, true believers evangelize, while I categorize. I dance to the rhythm of coincidences. People who experience me see more of them. Maybe something on the show matches a thought in your mind. Let us know. Expand your mind to the weirdness happening around you. Synchronicity spoken here, there, and everywhere. For more information, put Connecting with Coincidence in your search engine and find my website, my social media sites, and my blog. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. 
with the understanding none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. Exonation, Nick Redfern is our guest. We're discussing Nick's latest book, Roswell UFO Conspiracy, Exposing a Shocking and Sinister Secret. And if you'd like to get a hold of Nick online, it's nickredfern14.blogspot.com. Uh, Nick, looking at the big picture, mm-hmm. an investigation is done into your into your claims. They prove to be real. I don't doubt you one bit, my friend. I think you've got something here that is going to shake up the UFO community. What will the findings uh, do to the UFO community? Especially since they really have no proof whatsoever of real flying saucers from another planet or extraterrestrials from another planet. Would this be the the uh, the Achilles heel that would bring down the UFO community? Well, yeah, that, that's the most important question or, and scenario of all, mm-hmm. because, you know, when you sort of elevate one case to the number one event in ufology ever, then you're on real rocky ground if it falls apart. You know, there have been a lot of interesting and good UFO cases over the years, but ufology would not have sort of a collective breakdown if they were found to be mistaken identity or a hoax or whatever. But with Roswell, because it's been elevated to that um, level of becoming untouchable, if it does collapse and ufology as a unit has put all its hopes and faith in this one theory, then I can actually see that the UFO scene would probably fragment to a massive degree, people would become disillusioned. You know, if the best case ever actually isn't the best case after all, mm-hmm. people would, I think, have a meltdown um, if it was proved, you know. So, in other words, um, there, there's a good argument to be made that by promoting the case so aggressively and triumphantly as a UFO event, it could doing that could actually turn out to be ufology's biggest mistake of all and of course if the community that is hiding you know the agency or whatever it is that's hiding what really happened revealed the truth of the human experimentation angle the, then that agency could d- pretty much destroy ufology in one foul swoop as well because of so much disillusionment so you know the stakes are sort of very high all around but it's only because of its ufology's own fault that it elevated the case so high. If they just kept it as an interesting, intriguing case with lots of threads, but didn't put it as the number one, that wouldn't happen. But it's too late now. It's kind of like, um, you know, the famous film footage of Bigfoot taken by Roger Patterson in the 60s. Right. So many people in the Bigfoot community believe that film. And if that came crashing down, there would be disillusionment there too, but only because the film was being elevated to almost mythical status, you know. Yeah, I, I guess uh, just like the infamous Alien Autopsy film, except that 
yeah. went up very fast and was uh, proven wrong very fast as well. What do you think the the carnival atmosphere does to the credibility of of the Roswell case when we look at Roswell days in the, uh, you know, like I said, the carnival atmosphere? Well, yeah, I mean, you can go to Roswell anytime, and it's always sort of packed with UFO stuff going on. But every 10 years, you know, although they have a conference every year, certainly every 10 years, you know, is a big year because it's, uh, you know, an anniversary coming decade, up. And I'll yeah. actually be there. Um this uh, July, speaking about the new book. Um, but you're right, there, there is sort of a carnival atmosphere to it. And, you know, I think when you look at that angle, um, you see two things. And one is the fact that, you know, people celebrate the event itself in town because it's what put them on the map. Um, but also, you know, from the UFO angle, sometimes the skeptics play upon the fact that, it is sort of a carnival, but the people in town take the view that, well, we're just having a bit of fun, you know. So in other words, a lot of what goes on in Roswell, the town, when they have these anniversary events, really isn't put on or done by ufology. It's done, you know, by the city of Roswell to promote tourism and, you know, the economy in town. Mm -hmm. um, yes, you have people from ufology speaking out there, but they're not the ones, you know, who sort of... Um, responsible for that kind of atmosphere and i don't mind you know i don't mind a light-hearted approach to ufology and you know and, and kicking back and chilling out and everything else i think sometimes you know the scene gets overly serious and pompous so that doesn't bother me but i think the only downside of these events is that for obvious reasons um you know they champion the UFO angle uh, at the expense of everything else, really. What I, I often wonder what Roswell, New Mexico, would be without the the alleged crash. <laughs> well, that's a very good question. Mm. I mean, um, it was the birthplace of John Denver, so um, <laughs> so maybe maybe he would be the uh, you know the number one. Uh, although he's dead now, yeah. you know the number one legend uh, in Roswell, maybe. Nick, uh, you mentioned briefly uh, Bigfoot. Any anything new or exciting in the Bigfoot arena? Um, not really. You know, it's just kind of the same old stuff of yeah. sightings and blurry film footage and et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, I actually do think there's something to that. But, um, you know, that's sort of a totally different kind of enigma. You know, you've got ufology and then you've got what's called cryptozoology, the study or the search for unknown animals, which covers everything from, like, the Loch Ness Monster, Ogopogo, Champ, mm -hmm. uh, the Abominable Snowman, and so on, you know. So, um, but that's my other big interest, aside from UFOs, is the, uh, the whole issue of cryptozoology. Nick, I've been doing this show for 26 years, five nights a week, three to four guests a night. Nothing over 26 years has changed except the audience. That's right. You're right. You know, uh, and, and that's part of ufology and cryptozoology's not just their problem, but their fault. Um, in the sense that I think too much in all of these sort of areas of research, these disciplines, mm -hmm. it comes down to the belief and a yearning for it to be this or that overwhelms the idea of just um, you know an open, balanced investigation. I mean. The problem with a lot of ufology is that it isn't investigative journalism. What it is, 
is people latching onto exciting stories and sharing them. Well, that, that's not really investigating something to try and get to the heart of it. It's, it's basically recycling exciting tales. Mm-hmm. And, and if people want that, well, you know, that's, that's how it goes. Yeah. But I don't think we should want that. We should want, you know, the, the answer. But the problem is, I think, particularly like this Roswell angle, I know a lot of people in the Roswell community have heard this story, but they won't investigate it. And I think some of them... The reason they won't investigate it, it won't investigate it, is because the fear of what they might find. You know, they prefer like an ignorance is bliss yeah. angle or approach better. You know, whether it's the UFO community, whether it's the Bigfoot community, whether it's uh, the ghost hunters, um, people. See, you know, I've said this many times. Nothing has changed in twenty six years, and people say, "Well, why do you keep doing this show?" And I say, because the truth is out there. And by bringing as many people to this forum that we have, one day, Nick, I really believe the truth will, you know, will be forward, will come out, whether it's with George Norrie, myself, or any of the, the other shows that are out there. The truth is out there. I want to, I, Nick, I want to believe, but I want to see proof. Well, no, I get that. We all want to believe in something, you yeah. know, that's our nature as, as people. I mean, for me... Despite the fact that I'm highly doubtful that aliens crashed at Roswell, mm-hmm. I do believe there's a real UFO phenomenon. I mean, the reason I got involved, my dad was a, uh, worked in the British Royal Air Force on radar. He's a radar mechanic, and he was actually involved in several weird UFO events in the Cold War. And, and I do think there's enough evidence, although it's not evidence, but testimony, that there is some sort of creature of, of some kind that has become known as Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean I buy into every story. But people, again, like with Roswell, it's kind of like, because it's been elevated so high, if you say you don't think aliens crashed at Roswell, people also assume you don't believe in UFOs. That's that's the power that Roswell has. People can't extract Mm -hmm. Roswell from the UFO phenomenon and vice versa. It's like they're... Not, it's not possible, you know, to to remove one from the other. That's how it's seen, and that's the problem. So what's next for you, Nick? What are you up to next? Um, well, I've got a completely different book coming out in September called Shapeshifters, mm. and it looks at um, the whole history of shapeshifters throughout history, mythology, folklore, legends. So there's obviously you know, the, chan- uh, the chapters on things like werewolves and, you know, man to wolf, wolf to man. But there's also, um, you know, other ones like the Native American skinwalkers um, and ancient legends of creatures that could shapeshift into all sorts of different forms and uh, leopard cults in Africa where Hmm. supposedly um, the, you know, certain tribal people knew how to allegedly transform themselves into leopards or lions or hyenas. So it's basically... um, like a trip through, as I said, history, mythology, folklore, legend, to try and get to the bottom of, you know, all these different stories of um, shape-shifting from human to animal and vice versa. Well, Nick, as always, time goes by so fast when you're with me. I want to thank you ever so much for, for number one, for coming on the show, for number one, for being a friend, and number three, for doing the great work that you do, trying to put an answer to these many mysteries and I wish you continued success and I look forward to the next time we meet you back here in the Exxon. Until then, my se- my friend, safe travels. Well, thanks a lot for again for having me on. You take care, Nick. Exxon Nation, lot, my great pleasure, sir. Exxon Nation, Nick Redford has been our special guest. 
If you'd like to uh, visit uh, Nick online, nickredfern14.blogspot.com. And we've been talking to Nick about his new book, Roswell UFO Conspiracy, Exposing a Shocking and Sinister Secret. I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Mm-hmm. 